friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. So we're now ready to go to God's Word, and we will be reading from Philippians chapter 4 and verses 10 and 11. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this morning service. We thank you for our time of worship, and we thank you for the word of prophecy that you gave to us. We thank you, Lord, for reorienting us and reorienting our perspective as well as our priorities And Lord, indeed, what we need to do is seek you, seek your face, seek your kingdom. And we pray that this morning, that is exactly what what we will do, Lord. And we ask, Lord, your blessing upon us. We pray for the anointing and the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray for myself, O God. Anoint my lips of clay so that as I speak, Lord, I might be your voice to your people, O Lord so that they might know that you have spoken to them, that you have addressed their needs, that you love them, that you care for them, and that you want them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we seek that your name be glorified, and so whatever is going to be achieved this morning, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I have entitled this morning's sermon, Graduating from the University of Contentment, all right? So that is our title, Graduating from the University of Contentment. I think it's been a cliche that we have heard some people saying that life is a journey, and indeed it is a journey. We are going from stage to stage of our lives, sometimes even from place to place, and we go from season to season. And so, indeed, yes, we can say that life indeed is a journey. But I think one of the things that we need to consider as well is that life is not just a journey. It is likewise an education. We are learning many things in life, and I think that this is something we need to remind ourselves. The Lord Jesus Christ was called a rabbi. He was called a teacher, and that is true. And God does not just teach us simply about His words. He does not just give us sermons, epistles, and many other things. He also teaches us in life's circumstances. And that is why with everything that happens to us, we need to be asking this question, Lord, what are you teaching me? What's the point of this circumstance? Why did you allow these events to take place in my life? And so we need to be sensitive as far as our spiritual ears are concerned, and we need to be listening to the voice of God and to the voice of the Holy Spirit lest we miss out on the opportunity to learn from God. Now also, we need to be mindful of the fact that He is conforming us to His own image. And so the direction, really, of this learning process is so that we we might become more and more like Jesus Christ. So again, God is teaching us, and one of the basic lessons that God wants to teach us in life is the course of contentment. That is one of the things that God wants us to learn. And by the way, as far as we see this passage, what you and I can possibly say is that 
Paul graduated as summa cum laude in the school or in the university of contentment. And we see that in this particular passage. And there are three things, by the way, that we will see here. The first thing we will see is Paul's ultimate source of contentment. All right? Paul's ultimate source of contentment or rejoicing. All right? And this should serve as the foundation of our contentment. Now, you and I, of course, are trying to look for contentment in so many things, and we're trying to build our lives on those things. However, let me just tell you this. Unless you have this foundation, you will never really understand what true spiritual contentment is all about. So that is the first point that you and I will be discussing. Now we go to the second, which is Paul's secondary source of rejoicing. And in this particular case, we will be talking about the Philippians' resources shared. And as I share this to you, one of the things I'd like you to take note of is that God grants us circumstances and events in our lives wherein we are able to see His favor and His love towards us. So let me just say this. God is not really against good things happening in our lives, as some would probably suppose if they look at God as somebody who is sadistic, as somebody who wants His people to suffer. I'd like you to be able to understand that when good things happen to us, it comes from the hands of God. But let, let us be reminded, brothers and sisters, that even as it comes from the hands of God, that is not our primary source of rejoicing. It is only a secondary source of rejoicing. And so we will expound on that further as we move on. Now, the third point would be Paul's remarkable attitude of contentment. And at the end of this sermon, I'm hoping that you and I will make this resolve and this determination in our hearts to seek contentment, true spiritual contentment in our lives. So my prayer to God is that, like Paul, we might graduate from the University of Contentment with flying colors. So that is my hope and my prayer for you. So let's go to our first point, which is Paul's ultimate source of rejoicing. Now, what does he say here in verse 10? He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, for us to be able to appreciate what Paul is trying to say here, we need to break this uh, passage down into several parts, and we need to put our focus on some very important phrases, like, for example, the phrase, rejoice in the Lord. And basically, what that teaches is that ultimately, Paul's joy was founded primarily in the Lord. His joy was founded in the Lord, which means that as far as Paul was concerned, God was his supreme treasure. And this is the reason why he was enjoying this life of rejoicing. And I feel that the word of prophecy was just spot on this morning when God was speaking to us and saying that we need to seek the Lord. We need to seek his joy. We need to seek his peace. We need to seek his presence. And then the ending song was interesting. It had to do with seeking God's kingdom first. And so, again, this is the foundation by which we need to build our lives. Sometimes we build our lives around certain things, and unfortunately, we find ourselves in a state of discontent. And for me, that is unfortunate, most especially if you are a believer in Christ. You know, it, it just blows my mind as I study the Scriptures how God has greatly blessed His people. We are actually able to enjoy so many things in life. By the way, not just material things, which God gives as well. 
And the Bible says, in fact, that when God gives us these things, we are to enjoy them. But we actually have more. It's like, it's like a well that never runs out of water. That's how I see the Christian life. And, and we are able to discover blessing upon blessing upon blessing in our lives we're able to see the grace of God moving continually in our lives. It's like waves of water continually pounding the shoreline. It never ends. It never stops. And there's always something new that God brings on the table for us. There's always something beautiful that we are able to see. And that is what makes our Christian life so beautiful. But then again, it all begins with God. And so that's where we start. That's the beginning point of our lives. Now, I believe when Paul was saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, not only was he saying that our lives should be founded in the Lord, but I believe he was also talking about this new sphere of life that we are now in. Remember what Paul uh, says in the book of Galatians? He says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So we are right now in that sphere of life. And, and that sphere of life is not just something mystical. It is very powerful. That is the source of the very power so that we become victorious in our lives. And we thank God that we are now living in that sphere of life, which makes possible, by the way, this life of rejoicing that Paul was talking about. And again, let me just remind you where he was, because we will be able to appreciate more. He was not in a hotel suite when he was writing this. He was not in the Maldives. He was not in the beach lying down. You know, he was not enjoying this, this uh, social drink or whatever in a fancy hotel. No, that was not the situation. He was in prison. And yet, interestingly, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And basically, what that tells us as well is that true rejoicing can only come and it will only happen if we have genuinely accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord, Savior, as well as King. Yesterday, Pastor Jesse Riguero was sharing his testimony. He used to be a drug addict. He used to be a drug pusher. He was a snatcher. He was, he was a thief. And so his life was, was actually a mess. And he said that, uh, there were some people who had shared the gospel to him, and he had prayed the sinner's prayer probably quite a number of times, but there was no change in his life. The reason was there was really no genuine acceptance. The reason was there was really no genuine repentance, and the, that, that being the case, he was still in misery. He was still looking for drugs. He was still looking for the next quick fix. That was what he was looking for. It was only when he realized that he had to fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ that true and genuine salvation actually took place in his life. And his testimony was when he genuinely accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, he began to experience a kind of joy which he had never ever experienced before. Of course, he had experienced the, the kind of high that drugs will bring. But he says what he experienced is beyond description. There are no words to describe the joy that he experienced of having the Lord in his life. And that is why, friends, if you are seeking for true joy, if you are seeking for true peace and contentment in your life, You've got to make Jesus not only your Savior, but your Lord. They go together. It's not something that you can actually compartmentalize, like accepting Jesus first as Savior this time, and then maybe later on as Lord. No, that, that doesn't happen that way. We should accept Him both as Savior and Lord. We must have this realization that He is the King of our lives. 
That is why a key aspect of genuine acceptance of the Lord is a true surrender to Him. That is why we need to say, Lord, I surrender my whole life to You. Everything I am and everything I have is Yours. In effect, you are really saying, Lord, I will no longer own my life. You own my life, Lord. Bring me where you want me to, to be brought. Take me where you want me. And again, that's what needs to happen first of all. Now, Paul says that he rejoiced greatly. Our joy is great. Amen? It's not just present. It does not just exist. It is great. And that is how our Christian life should be lived out. It should be lived out in great joy. In fact, the psalmist actually exhorts us and admonishes us to serve the Lord with gladness. God desires gladness. God desires joy in our lives. God wants us to be satisfied in Him because when we are satisfied in Him, that is what glorifies Him the most. So again, these are things that are really essential in our lives. And actually, there is a verse. I was meditating on the Scriptures, I think, in Second Chronicles. And, and David, after he had gotten the ark and brought it uh, into Jerusalem, and he had a tent. He came up with a psalm. And in the psalm, he said, Seek the joy of the Lord. Seek the presence of God. Seek the strength of the Lord. And that's what we need to be doing because those are gifts that God gives to us as His children. All right? So again, just to summarize the first point, Rejoicing in the Lord is the foundation of contentment. Say this with me, please. Rejoicing in the Lord is the foundation of contentment. And again, using the illustration of a building, you cannot start putting up the walls of your house. You can't start putting a roof without a foundation. The proper way to do a strong and sturdy building or house is you begin with the foundation. Your foundation needs to be strong, and our foundation is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Which brings us to the second point, Paul's secondary source of rejoicing, which happens to be the Philippians' resources shared with him. So let me just read this, uh, this verse. It says that now, at last, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now, what was the occasion of Paul's rejoicing here? Well, the occasion of Paul's rejoicing was the fact that they had, the Philippians had revived their concern for Paul. Now, the Greek that was used here, by the way, is the Greek word anathalo, which means to cause to bloom again, and it pictures a tree putting on new foliage in the spring. Now, for those of you who have gone abroad or who have seen uh, movies about springtime, it's really a wonderful time because that's a time wherein you see the leaves coming out. That's the time when you see all the flowers beginning to bloom. It's really wonderful. And this is in sharp contrast, of course, with, with wintertime. Now, of course, I know some of us were, were dreaming of snow, and maybe some of us are dreaming, Lord, let it snow in Cebu. That's never going to happen, all right? But some of us are dreaming because, you know, we see these movies and they're, they're coming up with the snowman and they have these snowballs and, you know, it's like a fun thing to do, right? And indeed, when, when snow comes, I was talking to one of our brothers who lives in the United Kingdom. He said the first time he saw snow, it was so dazzling. It was so bright. 
And even at nighttime, you can still see the white snow. It's like it's lighted up. And it's so beautiful, he says. And that makes you understand why in the book of Isaiah, when, when God speaks about the forgiveness of our sins, He says that he will, he will forgive our sins, He will cleanse our sins so that we become white as snow. And so that is really the picture. And, and so, again, some of us are probably dreaming of, I want to be able to see snow. So we're singing that song, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Is that Frank Sinatra? Anyway, you see, there's a downside to Christmas because when you begin to look at the trees, all right, the trees seemingly die down. All the leaves just fall down, and all you would see are these branches, all right? And sometimes at night, when you see that, it just creates an eerie kind of feeling. It's not really so nice. So springtime is a lot better because that's when you see all these flowers and all these leaves coming out. And that's the picture that is being portrayed to us in this uh, particular passage. And, and Paul is saying, that is how I have seen your concern for me. So actually, he was in, in effect trying to say that there was a gap there was a time when you did not show that concern. Of course, not because they intentionally did not want to show concern to Paul, but they lacked opportunity. Now, the lack of opportunity may have come as a result of dire poverty. Maybe they themselves were, were deep in, in poverty and Although they wanted to help Paul in his situation, they could not. And remember the situation of Paul? He was in prison. He had to pay rent, all right? He had to pay for his own food. That was the situation of people at that time in the Roman Empire. And so Paul actually needed help. He, he needed the mercy and the compassion of people. And the Philippian believers, they wanted to help. But maybe because of their situation, they could not do that at that time. Secondly, well, here's another possibility. The possibility is maybe nobody could travel all the way to uh, where Paul was, which was in Rome. And so that may be another possibility. Now, regardless of what the reason was, there was a season in Paul's life wherein he had lack, but unfortunately, the Philippian believers were not able to minister to him at that particular time. And, and this tells us, brothers and sisters, that God is actually sovereign in every circumstance that takes place in our lives. Of course, we always want good things happening to us, we always want blessings and favor and happenings taking place. And, and I believe that these are things that actually cause our hearts to just rejoice. But then again, there are occasions when what we want doesn't exactly happen. And I think we need to be able to recognize the sovereignty of God in our lives, including the small details of our lives. Like, for example, having a flat tire, which you and I probably would not like because we would be greatly inconvenienced. Or maybe you'll be stuck in traffic. Cebu traffic is getting worse and worse. And... Yeah, sometimes you can be stuck in traffic for two hours and three hours. Or maybe all of a sudden the rain pours and, and you're in a facility, you're in a place, maybe you're in your office and you can't go home because the streets are flooded. So as much as you want to go home, you can and maybe you have to sleep in your office. Now, when we think about those things, we don't like those things but I would like you to understand God is sovereign. Paul obviously at that time wanted some help in his situation, but it did not happen. And so the thing there, however, is we are not 
to look at it as if God no longer cares about us or God has abandoned us or God is not omniscient at all because He is. He knows. He understands. And by the way, He understands our pain. He understands our sufferings. He understands what we go through. But here's the point. When God allows certain things to happen to us, whether small or big, He's teaching us something. He is actually enrolling us in His own curriculum so that we get to learn certain things in life. So what is God teaching you? And, and, and these are things we need to be asking. When, when things happen to us, we need to be asking questions. Lord, what are you teaching me at this point? Could it be that God is stretching your faith? Could it be that God is teaching you to be more patient? Could it be that God is teaching you to be forgiving? Could it be that God is telling you you need to wait upon the Lord? Deliverance is coming. Salvation is coming. Justice is coming. But you need to wait upon the Lord. Whatever situation we are in, there's always something to learn. Remember, our God is a teacher. And God is present in our lives every day. And He is not only present. Uh, Sister Mattel was sharing a psalm which says that God is our ever-present help. He's always there. But the thing is, is God just being passive? Is He just, you know, looking at us from a distance and not caring at all what is happening to us? No. I believe He is actively pursuing certain things in our lives. And it might appear that He's silent. And sometimes the, the silence can be deafening to us. But you see, God is doing something. God is always at work, and He is at work in our lives. And this is exactly what Paul understood. He understood the sovereignty of God. That is why Romans 8.28 is something we need to go back to again and again and again. All things. And that means all things, not just the good things, but even the bad things. But what it says there is that all things work together for what? For good to them who love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. So God, in fact, is at work in your life. He's at work right now. As this message is being spoken to you, He is at work right now. And you better not resist and reject what God is teaching you. You need to open your heart. You need to open your mind. You need to open your spirit to the Lord so that you might learn from Him because He is a teacher, all right? Now, Paul was saying now they had revived their concern for Him, which means that now they sent material resources. They sent a love offering. Maybe they sent money for him so that he could pay rent in his prison, and then he could also have food to sustain him as well. Now, Paul knew he never questioned the motives of the Philippian be believers. He knew that they had always wanted to minister to him. But as he says here, you lacked the opportunity. So when, when the blessing came upon Paul in his situation, I am so sure that he rejoiced. And friends, when blessings come in our lives, we need to thank God. We need to rejoice in Him because as the Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And those things are given for us to enjoy so that as we are satisfied, we're able to see the goodness of God, the love of God, that He cares for us, that He's, He's a rewarder. And so those things we need to be mindful of. Now, here's something I'd like to point out. Again, this is not our primary source of rejoicing. When blessings come, that's not the primary thing we are to rejoice in. It is only a secondary source. So again, we have to remind ourselves because the tendency is we begin to worship the blessings that God gives to us. The blessings now become a God to us. 
When God blesses us with prosperity, sometimes we worship prosperity. Sometimes when fame comes to us, we worship that fame or that popularity that comes to us. And so what happens is actually these blessings actually become a curse to us. They become the bane of our lives. Now don't let that happen. Don't allow that. Don't allow the blessings of God to skew your perspective in life. Understand continually what your priorities are. Understand completely what your your life is built on. It is built on the Lord. You must not put God in the periphery of your life. He must always be at the center. He must be at the very core of your life. and, And everything in your life must revolve around God. He's the center. But sometimes, you know what happens? We become the center. The blessings become the center of our lives. What God gives to us becomes the idol of our lives. And we begin to worship on that altar. And it's a dangerous thing for our souls. We do not want that happening. Now, that's why, notice here, the reason for Paul's rejoicing stemmed not really on money. The secondary source of his rejoicing in this particular case was more of their concern. It was more of their love towards him. And by the way, that tells us that unless you are involved in the corporate life of the church, you will never experience this kind of a warmth and love. And let me just admonish and exhort you, encourage you to join some of our small groups, some of our ministries like the youth, the young adults, the men's, the women's, the couple's ministry. Join any of these groups because if you want to experience what Paul was experiencing in this case, the concern and the love of people, it's not going to happen in a huge place like this. I mean, we can shake our hands every time there's welcoming time and fellowship time, but that's it. But you know, we need, we need each other. You can never isolate yourself. And let me just tell you this. If you want to grow into spiritual maturity, if you take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, there is no such thing as growing into spiritual maturity as an individual. All spiritual growth and maturity takes place within the context and within the framework of the church life. So if you are not involved in the church life, I'm not saying you will not grow, but you will not grow to the measure that God wants you to grow. You will miss out on your potential as a Christian, and you miss out on the blessing of receiving love. Amen? It's a great thing to be loved by the brethren of God. When, when you're down and out, somebody comes to you and, and prays for you. Or maybe when you're sick, some people get to visit you and, and, and they're able to pray for you. Or maybe you are in need and, and somebody, somebody's heart is touched by the Lord and this person reaches out to you. What a joy to know that people love you. And Paul was saying, you know what, this is, this is even more precious than, than the love offering you sent to me. This is more precious than, than the money you sent to me. This is what I'm, I'm really after. By the way, the word concern appears twice. For emphasis, Paul was saying, this is the, this is the real deal. This is the thing that I really, really enjoy more than the money. Now, as a servant of God, what Paul appreciated was the heart more than the money. Unfortunately, there are some ministers who don't, who don't care about the concern. <laughs> Never mind about the concern. I just care about the money. And let me just tell you this. Ministers like that, I doubt if they are genuine ministers of God. And that's why I don't blame, blame people when they say, well, you know, some of these pastors and preachers, they're just doing religious business. And I can only say, yes, indeed, there are indeed religious shenanigans who are out there to just pick the pockets of people, 
They're not really concerned about souls. They're not really concerned about the salvation of people. And that is unfortunate. And I recall the time when um, my former church was trying to invite a well-known pastor who had written a best-selling book. So he, we wanted him to come. So he writes back and he tells us that if he was going to come, there was a fixed amount of money that he wanted to receive if he was going to come to the Philippines. You know what? When, when, when I learned about that, that was an automatic turn off for me. I mean, this guy is going to come here and is going to teach us, but he doesn't have a heart. All he wants is the money. I recall likewise another story of uh, a foreigner who went to Malaysia and he, he, he was scheduled to teach for two days. So the first day was wonderful. But when the second day came, guess what? He told the organizers, I want all the love offering that you will collect on this day to be on my plate. And if you're not going to give me all the collection for this day, I'm not going to preach. Can you imagine that? That's why Paul actually spoke about certain ministers who were peddling the Word of God. So it was really business for them. And, and this is why I appreciate Edmond Chan. Because I did not want to presume as well. So when I talked to his secretary, I asked, is there a specific amount of money that Edmond Chan would like to receive as our love offering to him for coming to the Philippines. And the secretary wrote me back and said, Edmond Chan has a policy that he never gives uh, a certain amount by which a church is supposed to bless him. And you know what? That, that, that caused me to respect him even more. And no wonder God's using him. No wonder uh, God is just blessing him and elevating him and exalting him and using him in different parts of the world. Because that's the kind of heart we need to have amongst ministers of God. And by the way, not, not really boasting, but just speaking as a matter of fact, that's the reason why in our church, our pastors or at least most of our pastors, maybe 95%, do not receive a salary. And again, we, as a matter of policy in the church, ministers of God are not supposed to advertise their needs. At the moment, one of our pastors advertise their needs, they are put in disciplinary action. You can't do that, not in this church. And the reason why we do that is we want to be able to show to people, not only in church but outside church, we're not here to minister because of the money. So whether we're feasting or we're fasting, it doesn't matter. We will continue to serve the Lord. And that is how it's supposed to be. So we go to the third point. Paul's remarkable attitude of contentment. Now, let's go to verse 11 at this time. Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now, let's break this down. Let's talk about the first phrase here in verse 11, Not that I speak from want. Now, it seems like Paul is being defensive here, but what he is saying here is that he is writing to them in this manner, not because he wanted to evoke feelings of sympathy just so they would minister to his needs. We have a term in Cebuano, which is padungog-dungog, di ba? And Paul was saying, I'm not doing that. 
I'm not trying to advertise my needs in a subtle way, all right? When I'm writing this to you, understand I'm not doing that. That's not my motive. That is not my intention. So he's being a little defensive here, again, because of the fact that he was aware that there were some actually who were peddling the Word of God. And let me just share to you a few illustrations, some things that had happened in the most recent past. Time CNN Impact Forum actually carried the story of Jimmy Swaggart, and the commentator said, it says, and there's more about Swaggart that didn't come out in the report. A woman bequeathed or bequeathed $6 million to Swaggart to help children overseas that were in need. The bequest was very specific. He, however, has, quote-unquote, borrowed that money, and not a penny has gone to the children's fund. The commentator continues, he is repaying it on an interest-only basis. And we have been told that $1 million of it, listen well, went to build a security fence around his private residence. Can you, that just, that just is unimaginable. One million dollars for a security fence around your private residence? Another story about Jimmy Swaggart was carried by one um, magazine, I think, and the story goes something like this. The Electronic Church Ministry of popular television evangelists such as Jimmy Swaggart has been widely criticized on a number of counts. TV evangelists support themselves by appealing to their audiences for donations. And I believe this is wrong. We appeal for donations within the church. The church should, in fact, support the work of God. You and I know and understand that ministry involves money. As much as you and I would not want to talk about money, let me just tell you, ministry involves money. It costs money to buy those chairs that you are now sitting on. It costs money to buy those air conditioners that make it comfortable for us to come. It costs money to build the parking space so that you could park the cars. And the list goes on and on and on. So it would be foolishness on our part to say that ministry never involves money. It involves money. But here's the thing. It is the church and the believers and the saints alone that should support the work of the church. We do not ask donations from outside. We do not ask money from those who do not know Christ. By the way, that's the reason why many people have been turned off with Christianity because of these televangelists who continually ask for money on TV. They are so brazen that they are totally unashamed of their methods. Like, for example, premiums in the form of inexpensive jewelry, books and pamphlets, cassettes or printed copies of sermons are offered to those who call or write. Respondents are then solicited further by direct mail techniques. Mainline church leaders claim that such commercializing cheapens religion. And I agree completely. America's first televangelist, Jim Baker, paid some $265,000 for what? To cover up a sexual misadventure. Imagine spending that amount of money to cover up your, your adultery. Later, he was convicted of misspending millions of followers' dollars. Rival preacher Jimmy Swaggart 
called the Baker Scandal a cancer. At that time, he wasn't discovered yet. So he said, Jim Baker is a cancer to the body of Christ. That was before he was photographed visiting a prostitute named Deborah Murphy. And according to Murphy, he was kind of perverted. I would not want him around my children. Now, for a prostitute to say he's kind of perverted is really something else. And so, as much as we don't want to talk about these things, we have to talk about them. Because we, we cannot be innocent of these things. We cannot be naive. Just because a person holds on to the Bible and teaches from the Word of God doesn't mean he's trustworthy. And sometimes we're so gullible. Sometimes we're so vulnerable. The moment the person brings the Bible, shares the Bible to us, we just believe him. We just believe every Tom, Dick, and Harry that carries a Bible. Now, friends, let me just tell you this. That, that, by the way, that's the reason why you have to be in church. That's the reason why you cannot just be watching TV and watching all these sermons. You've got to be up close and watch your preachers and ministers. How do they live their lives? How do they treat their spouses? How do they raise up their children? Now, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. Nobody's perfect after all. But the question is, what are they pursuing in their lives? Is there consistency? Is there honesty? Is there integrity? Is there transparency? Is there even an admission to their flaws and their mistakes? Those things are very important. Now, you won't get that if you're merely watching TV. So anyway, going back, and you know, that's just a little rabbit trail, but something which I feel is very important. Now, one thing we find from this verse is that Paul had learned to be content in whatever circumstances he was in. And contentment is very important in Christianity because, listen well, this is one of the requisites for a life of peace and joy. So if you were thinking we're, we're done with peace and joy, no, it just continues on. It seems like Paul is just continually just embellishing this mega theme of joy and peace. And he adds another gem here, another principle, which is really helpful. You want to maintain your, your joy and your peace? Well, you need to be content. Because let me just tell you, if one is not content, he cannot have peace and joy. Because his life will be a constant striving for more and more and more. Greed, covetousness, materialism are all assassins of peace and joy. So if you are a person who is never content, you will never have joy and you will never have peace. Let me tell you a little story. There was this... Uh, lady was working um, in a company, and she blurted out one time, maybe she wasn't aware that her boss was there, and she blurted out loud, I wish I had $100, and that would make me perfectly happy. And the boss, hearing about that, took out $100 from his pocket and from his wallet, and gave it to the lady. And before he could leave from, from earshot from, from this woman, this woman started to complain. And she said, why did I not say $200? But if she had said $200, guess what she would say? Oh, I wish I had, I, I, I blurted out 300, and then later it's going to be 400 and 500. That's exactly what discontent brings on the table. It's going to mess up your life. By the way, the word content here comes from the Greek word autarkase, which means self sufficient. In the classical Greek, 
The Stoics use this word, which, by the way, occurs only here in the New Testament. That makes it interesting. It, it, it means human self-reliance and fortitude, a calm acceptance of life's pressures. Now, that is what the classical Greek means. But here, what Paul does is he tweaks the meaning, all right, to, to Christianize it, so to speak. So, Here's the Christian definition. Listen up, please. Paul used it to refer to a divinely, divinely bestowed sufficiency wherein one has this calm acceptance of life's pressures, listen well, whatever the circumstances are. All right? It is a calm acceptance whatever the circumstances are. So let me, just, let me just tell you this. I don't know what's happening in your life right now. Maybe there are issues in your life right now. Maybe there are doubts, there are questions. Maybe there were certain things that were unexpected. It happened to you. I don't know. I don't have the answers to to all the things that you are experiencing in your life right now. But let me just tell you this. If you want to have life, a life of joy and peace, you need to learn to be content. And it is when you are content that joy begins to well up in your heart. It is when you are content that peace begins to rise up in your heart. I recall what Warren Worsby said. He goes, Contentment is not escape from the battle, but rather an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. Now, again, here's a situation. Warren Worsby actually uh, had a situation when he was in Chicago in the O'Hare uh, airport and unfortunately, there were delayed flights. And being a Christian and being content, he was merely praying and asking, Lord, Lord, how, how do you want me to use this situation right now? In contrast, there was a man who was walking back and forth like, like somebody who was a, like a caged lion. He was just walk, walking back and forth, and he was actually making the situation so tense. And, and finally, he approached uh, Warren Worsby because Warren Worsby was so calm. And he said, how can you be so calm with all these delayed flights? How can you be so calm? And Warren Worsby saw that as an opportunity for him to be able to share the gospel. Praise God. God always has a purpose and always has a reason. Amen? And interestingly, he rode the airplane now going to, later on, he rode a plane going to New York. Again, there was a kind of delay, and somebody from the plane said, bring out the booze. Bring out the drinks. And sometimes that's how people respond, right? When there's something that's troubling them, Bring me the shabu. Bring me the drugs. Bring me grass. Bring me alcohol. Bring me the tequila. And may, bring me the vodka. You know, that's how people respond. When you are a person who's not content, you will always look for these quick fixes. And by the way, that's what Jesse Riguero was sharing yesterday. He was always looking for that quick fix. He was never content. And he always wanted more and more and more of it, such that eventually he graduated into injection. He was injecting drugs into his system, and that caused him to have hepatitis C, so that later on, the doctor said, you only have six months to live. By the way, Jesse Riguero is a walking miracle. And thank God, but 
you know, he is a very powerful example of a person who is discontent and could only find satisfaction, fleeting satisfaction in drugs. That is not true of believers in Christ. Amen? We can be content in whatever circumstances we are in. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a big hand, please. Contentment, however, is learned. I hope you saw that in the verse. It's not something that comes automatically. It is learned. How do you learn it? By the way, the word learned here in the Greek means learn by experience. So how, how do we learn patience? For example, God sends you a person who will tribulate you. You can call him the anointed tribulator. He's anointed to create patience in your life. Amen? So again, it's the circumstances. This is, remember when, when you're, you're about to go out of college and you're about to work, what do you do? You do an OJT, on-the-job training, right? So that, or you become an intern. Why? Why is that needful? If, if you're a, a physician, you have to become a resident before you can actually specialize. Why do you do that? Because learning is not just through a blackboard. It's not just through reading. You have to be given certain circumstances in your life to learn. You don't learn swimming on a blackboard. This is how you swim. This is how you do the stroke. I mean, try it on water. It won't work. Amen? You've got to dive into the water, all right? And that's how you learn how to swim. And that's the point of Paul here. That's the reason why you're going through what you're going through. Whatever you are going through, God is teaching you a lesson. And hopefully, hopefully, you are learning contentment. Amen? And by the way, contentment is a course you have to finish. And next weekend, by the way, not, not next weekend, we have Pastor Robbie. After that, I will show you what the curriculum is. All right? What the curriculum is. Now, Paul was a man who was content and continually found reason to rejoice because his life was in the Lord, which also indicates he was submitted to Christ. We need to submit ourselves to the authority of God. Certain things have happened in our lives or are happening in our lives which we do not understand. And we just have to say, Lord, I don't understand, but I submit to you. You are a God of love. You are a sovereign God. And whatever it is you are doing, ultimately, it will end up good for me because you are a good God. Amen? You are a good God. So hopefully you learned something this morning. The foundation of our rejoicing, which is contentment, we might have secondary sources of uh, rejoicing. That's not bad at all. We need to rejoice in what God gives to us, acknowledge God. Finally, however, I am hoping and praying that we might have, just like Paul, a remarkable attitude of contentment. God bless you this morning. Let us pray. Give the Lord a hand, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, O God. We thank you, O God, for the lessons in life. Our lives would not be enriched at all without these lessons. And sometimes the lessons can inconvenience us. They can be uncomfortable. Sometimes, Lord, they bring pain and even suffering. But, Lord, they are lessons to be learned. 
And our prayer is that we will be sensitive enough that we will be open to the work of the Holy Spirit and that we might submit ourselves to you, O God. We thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity to learn from you. And we ask, O God, that grace be given to all of us. We thank you for the opportunity to give our tithes and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And whatever has been achieved today, we want to give you back all the praises and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord.